Welcome to the Birth Nurses Podcast. I'm Shana Brickner from Preparented, and I'm joined by my co-host Liz Baker-Wade from Birth and Beyond in Santa Monica. We are the Birth Nurses. In this podcast, we talk about birth and nursing practice and labor and delivery, and in a broader sense, the whole world of nursing too. From two women who have been on both sides of the birthing bed, we've got some things to talk about that will enhance your understanding of birth. Whether you're a first-time pregnant parent, a parent to one or more babies, or a professional in the birth world, this podcast is for you. Join me and Liz and special guests as we share and learn from each other here on the Birth Nurses Podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Liz Baker-Wade. I am a registered nurse, and I'm here with my podcast partner, Shana Brickner. Hello. Shana. Shana is an IBCLC <laughs> lactation consultant. All things breastfeeding. I'm wearing a shirt right now that says, retired milk maker. I love that t-shirt. It's so cute. And since you've breastfed three children. I have, but I'm a retired milk maker now. But now I help others who are not retired. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm excited to talk about this. We're just going to do a a quick breastfeeding bit. Shana is going to talk about how to know if your baby is getting enough milk. This is probably the number one question that I get from... From new parents who haven't had their baby yet, so when I would do a prenatal breastfeeding class, Mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time on this. And then even after, if they didn't take a breastfeeding class with me and their baby is born and they go to the pediatrician and all they hear is, well, your baby lost some weight, your baby needs to gain weight, and you feel so much pressure as the breastfeeding mom to like, have to perform, right, and produce all this milk. And I think if we had knowledge of the physiological process of how this all goes down, right. it would alleviate so much stress. And just yesterday I was with a client. Um, we did a weighted feed, which means I weighed the baby before the feeding. Mm-hmm. The mom did the feeding. It was like a 25-minute breastfeeding session. And then after the feeding, I weighed the baby again, and he had drunk almost three ounces of milk Fantastic. in that. And he's about three weeks old. It was perfect. Mm-hmm. And she, you could see the stress just leave her shoulders. She totally. was like, thank you so much. I'm like, I didn't do anything. <laughs> you're the one feeding your baby, and you're doing a great job. I have a question. Why did she think the baby wasn't getting enough in the first place? Yeah, so... Um, they had a pediatrician appointment the mm-hmm. day before, and the baby had recently surpassed the birth weight, mm-hmm. which we're going to talk about. Um, and at our very first appointment, which was about 10 days ago, the baby had drunk maybe like a little less than one ounce mm-hmm. in that feeding. Mm-hmm. And the pediatrician was like, oh, no, if baby's only getting one ounce per feeding. Right. You need to supplement with formula or, mm-hmm. or your own breast milk. So they were really anticipating, you know, coming to do the weighted feed at my office mm-hmm. because they wanted to see how much baby was getting. But um, I'm going to give you guys the easiest parent hack for how to Love know it. your baby is getting enough. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. You count how many diapers your baby has. So easy. So easy. Because when baby is getting stuff in, then stuff has to come out. So it goes with a pattern. In the first week of life, 
there's this pattern that you'll your baby will follow mm-hmm. naturally. It's amazing how it happens. Well, first of all, your baby is weighed right after birth, like an hour or so after birth, right. if you have that skin-to-skin time and the golden hour. And we really try hard at my hospital, and I know most area hospitals in Los Angeles, they try, but I think we have a really good rate of babies getting on the breast in that golden hour. Yes. Those first two hours after birth, we work really hard. I hand express, I will give the baby. So the baby's had some colostrum. Mm -hmm. The colostrum's really not going to add any weight, is it? Barely any, but it helps baby to feel satisfied and not cry and to know that that's where baby gets food. Okay. <laughs> um, so baby is weighed about an hour or so after birth. So that is considered the birth weight. Then about 24 hours after birth, baby is weighed again. And this is typically in the postpartum room. Mm-hmm. So the postpartum nurse comes in with a scale, baby is weighed. And we usually see that baby has lost some weight. Now, not to worry, Every baby goes through this, a little bit of weight loss, because baby has probably by now had a huge poop. Right. This is the meconium poop. It's black and sticky and tarry. I think we've talked about this before. Beach tar. Right. And um, that was a few ounces, right, probably. Right. And then probably has a wet diaper. So at the 24-hour weight, we see that weight loss. And in labor and delivery, we give a lot of IV fluid. Mm. Something nurses have to be really careful about is over a volume. So it begs the question, perhaps the birth weight isn't as accurate. I agree. Because the baby could be kind of swollen from that extra fluid that the mom got Mm -hmm. in the induction or in labor and delivery. So perhaps the birth weight is inflated so when we see that weight loss, it looks more significant right. because the baby just peed out all that water Just let go weight. of the fluid. Yeah. Totally. So that's something to consider for sure. And that's on my intake form when I see a client, I ask, what kind of delivery did you have? Mm-hmm. And did you have an induction? Did you have a lot of fluids during labor? Because perhaps the birth weight wasn't as accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, so... And then when we see the weight loss, it looks like it was a 10% weight loss right. when really maybe we should have taken the 24-hour weight as the birth weight and then see if there's any weight loss after that. Yeah. So, yeah, there's some differing opinions on that, but I firmly believe that um, we put too much credit and emphasis on weight loss and weight gain in those first two weeks, and we're expecting a lot of babies. And we're freaking like, out. Are the you parents. kidding me? We have this right. like syllabus for the baby in the first two weeks. So counting diapers. So counting diapers. So in the first week, this is how it goes. Day one, we want one wet diaper and one poopy diaper. Day two, two wet diapers and two poopy diapers. Day three. Three wet diapers and really? three poopy diapers. And you can see where I'm going with this. Except from day four to day six, we want that many wet diapers, but just three or more, or more. poopy diapers. Okay. Yeah. And then day six and beyond, we're probably going to see about the same number as diapers as feedings. So let's say you're feeding your baby nine, ten times a day. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to change that diaper 
nine or 10 times a day. And when you say a day, you mean in a 24-hour period? Exactly. Okay, in 24 thanks. hours, okay. we're counting those diapers. I'm looking for five to six wet diapers and three or more poopy. And sometimes they're mixed, right? So right. in one diaper, there's pee and poop. And you can tell that it's pee because the yellow line on the front of the diaper turns blue. So that's your little your little hack if you didn't know that already. Most wow. diapers have that's that so yellow easy. line and it just turns blue when the baby peed. So we're going to only freak out if we don't see as many diapers as we want to see. Um, and if we see a decline in the weight, in the baby's weight, instead of a steady incline. After how long? So by two weeks old, we want baby to be back up to birth weight. So I kind of don't like checking the weight um, between birth and the two-week mark, although this is part of my job. And when I go to a home visit, I mm -hmm. do bring my scale. Mm -hmm. I want to see a little snapshot of how baby is transferring milk from the breast to their stomach right. and drinking. And if it's very little, if mom is noticing like, huh, when I pump milk, I'm getting drops, like not even anything that could be considered an ounce, like literally nothing or drops. Okay, we're going to evaluate your milk supply. Baby's probably not getting much if you pumped in place of a breastfeeding session, so it's been three hours, mm -hmm. you pumped and literally nothing came out. And your breasts feel really soft and like you're, even when you hand express, you're not nothing feeling let comes down, out. You're no. not getting yeah. full. There's other signs we look for. Um, so I think we, I mentioned this in the, the financial planning episode that when you're going to an expert for financial planning, like, you know, you're going to get an expert to guide you. And for breastfeeding, try not to do it on your own and look at YouTube videos at three in the morning. Like, please just call a lactation consultant to Absolutely. help you because and please, it really makes a difference. Don't tell your patients they will get breastfeeding education in the hospital. There are very few hours mm -hmm. that the lactation educators can get to your room maybe 15 minutes at a time, maybe not at all. There's plenty of time. There's no lactation person. Yep. And this is a misnomer. It is not based on any fact whatsoever. This is the most important thing. I'm Elizabeth Baker Wade. I am a labor and delivery nurse, registered nurse, birth educator, and podcaster. My birth education classes are concentrated on how to have a better hospital birth and high-risk pregnancy. What's high risk? What does that mean? High risk are moms who are experiencing histories of chronic hypertension, pregnancy-induced hypertension, we call that preeclampsia, insulin-dependent diabetes, infertility, and other comorbidities in their pregnancy which bump them into a higher risk category. Mm. Why do you like to teach about high risk pregnancies? Because there's gonna be more interventions often in the high risk mom and getting familiar with the vernacular and understanding the risk benefit of these interventions and why your obstetrician is gonna bring them up and getting prepared for what's gonna happen in the hospital, I think can really greatly reduce fear and anxiety and a lot of moms out there have comorbidities these days. 
That's true. We need to help them out on their way. Making peace with intervention when necessary helps for a better, smoother labor and delivery, I think. How can someone sign up for your class? They can go to birthandbeyond.net. You can email me at liz at birthandbeyond.net. I will respond within 24 hours. All my schedules, fees, and times are on my website. I also have a consultation membership and a text me anything membership for a month at a time where I will answer as many texts as you need for questions that come up out of the blue. Lots of texts come after the appointment, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I just had an appointment with my OB and I what don't does understand. This mean? Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm at birthandbeyond.net. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so what other things can we do if we you if you discover mm-hmm. that this baby now is definitely not getting enough milk? You pumping instead of doing a feed. You've determined this person is not making the milk supply yeah. that she should make. Now what? I'm going to ask the question why? Right. Why is the mom not making milk because it is a physiological process that once you deliver that placenta, there's kind of a light switch that goes off in your brain and says, "Oh, there must be a baby that just came out of me mm-hmm. and needs to be fed. And your, and your body starts working those hormones, the prolactin and hydrocortisol and insulin all work together. And oxytocin, did I say that one? Um, to make breast milk. And if that's not happening, why? Did mom not you know, have some thyroid issues? In her medical history that we weren't aware of, maybe some infertility issues. Mm -hmm. That's usually a deeper um, thing to look into. PCOS. Sometimes Mm -hmm. these moms can have trouble um, producing enough milk. That's polycystic ovarian disease. Mm -hmm. And then another thing that I look for is insufficient glandular tissue. So this is when mom just didn't quite develop that breast tissue Mm, um, during puberty and beyond, and she didn't see much change in her breast during pregnancy. I wonder how many obstetricians and pediatricians even go down that road and Mm -hmm. take a look. Mm -hmm. I think it's rare. I bet not many. Yeah. So um, there's we look at that. We look at baby's latch. What about that? Yeah, to see how... What's going on in baby's mouth? So there's two pieces of the puzzle, right? There's mom's anatomy and there's baby's anatomy of the mouth. So what if there's a tongue tie? And that tongue just cannot elevate and move side to side and do that peristaltic motion to compress the breast and transfer the milk from the breast to baby's stomach. So tongue tie, Mm. lip tie could impact latch and could impact that milk transfer. So... Lots of things we look for wow. besides just milk production, but what if it's a transfer problem? Baby just can't have that latch anatomically. It's just not happening. Right. So we need to release the tongue tie, and we can go down that whole rabbit hole another time because I did a, a master class on tongue tie and lip tie and how that all plays a major role in breastfeeding. So... Yeah, hope that was helpful. Fantastic. I love it. Uh I mean, especially the diaper 
Yes. One, <laughs> so easy. two, three. It's like, oh, like, this is you're way changing less the diapers, so you can count them. Do you know, it's one of the <laughs> most amazing things. The first thing that comes out of my patient's mouth after delivery, and I'm getting, how do I know they're getting enough milk? Because our like, breasts aren't see-through, right. unfortunately. <laughs> right. I, we, I, there, there's colostrum in there, first of all, yes. this first couple of days, and your baby needs to be on the breast frequently mm-hmm. and as often as you can in order to trigger the brain to exactly. tell the breast to make milk. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the whole supply and demand system we've talked about before. Yeah. As baby is demanding milk and suckling at the breast, it triggers all the hormones to work and to make milk. So Fantastic. frequent feeding, cluster feeding, which is multiple feedings and uh chunk of time. Babies like to cluster their feedings together. Um, all of that plays a role. Fantastic. In, Love the hack. Know, baby's getting enough. Yeah. Should we henceforth call it Shana's diaper hack? No, I, I did not make this up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Shana. Very informative. Hope Thanks. you liked this bit on how do I know if my baby's getting enough milk? Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Birth Nurses Podcast. If you enjoyed this, there are a few ways you can support us. First, you can share this podcast with your pregnant friends or new moms. Secondly, you can write a review and rate us on iTunes. And thirdly, we would love if you would check out our Instagram accounts and websites. I'm on Instagram as Preparented and online www.preparented.com. And Liz is on Instagram as birthnurseliz, and her website is birthandbeyond.net. Thanks for listening.